back for another exciting blind like me radio show i'm phil parr how are you today hope uh, good hope everything is well i i had a lady yesterday bring me some um, already boiled shrimp and i peeled them and i'm going to do this show and then i'm going to go in the house and pig out on boiled shrimp i don't have any of that fancy sauce that uh, that dale campbell uh, makes because i didn't have any chili sauce so i just mix some horseradish and ketchup together and i'm looking forward to it so maybe we'll uh, speed things up here <laughs> anyway our blind like me show uh, tonight or today um, we are glad you came in to be with us and we have a cruise to tell you about we're going to do that in a little bit but let's get to uh, to the guest of the evening and uh, we'll just let him kind of introduce him himself if uh, we're ready are we ready i think we are blind like me we want to say hi to a gentleman from california named bob canish how are you sir Doing just fine, Phil. Thank you for having me on here. Well, thanks for being here. And you, you say you're in what city now? San Diego, California. Oh, wait a minute. Let me start my watch here. Hang on. Let me start this. Is it counting? Let's see. Now it's counting. I don't want to get a time. Have you, do you use a uh, talking watch or not? I use a Braille watch. You use a Braille watch. Mm-hmm. You'd be amazed how many people stick to those. I guess you have meetings to go to where you, you uh, talking watch would not serve you well. That is exactly correct. Or if you're in uh, a bar or something in a large crowd of people, you can't really hear them. You really can't. You have to put them right up to your to your your uh, ear, and then the speaker's always on the bottom, isn't it? And exactly. So uh, I don't know. I just I got used to these. 10 or 12 years ago, and so I, I kind of hung with them. What, uh, you mind telling us what your age is? I am 34 years old. Really? Yes. Just a young man. I'm a puppy. Just starting out in your in, in life. Uh, I, of course, I thought 34 was old when I was 18. Now I think it's young. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and uh, you've been blind all your life. That is correct. I was born blind. But, uh, tell us about your your young years, your your school years, your when you how you grew up. Okay. Well, I um, was, um, I just went to regular public schools. That was during the, um, I guess, what they call the mainstreaming phenomenon that they did with blind yeah. people then. So I, I grew up in a rural little part of New Jersey, and I was the only blind student they'd ever had in the schools. So I went to Highbridge Elementary School, then on to Highbridge Middle School, then... Voorhees High School and high school, and then on to college. Interact with? I mean, did you have friends in in school? Do you have have buds just like everybody else? Oh, you know, yeah. it, um, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I 
what what I found happened is is this, and Phil, of course, you you know take whatever you want out of this. Oh yeah, go ahead. When you produce this, well, we we want you. We want your opinion. It's all right. Say whatever right. you want to say. Right. What I noticed, and I've noticed this throughout my life, is that I went to nursery school, and mm-hmm. in nursery school, you know, age of three, age of four, everybody was my friend, and everybody was everybody else's friend. Um, at that age, the children are very unspoiled. In other words, I can't see, but they don't care about that. We haven't taught them to be prejudiced or anything. Exactly. By the time you get to, like, kindergarten, first grade, oh, do they turn on you, Phil. <laughs> um, I Now, I had my friends. I still had my friends. Um, but you do find a lot of kids at that age they've they've been taught to have some sort and i don't know where they're getting it from i don't know if their parents from their parents or what but i had a lot of problems um once i got to be in about first second grade because i did i had a lot of children making fun of me had a lot of children playing mean tricks on me uh got to the point where it got so bad that I actually started to feel like my own parents didn't love me because I couldn't see. And my parents mm. took me to a child psychologist who, um, I don't remember a lot about this, you know, because it was a long time ago. But, but they've, t- you, they've told you about yeah. it. Yeah. It, yeah, and whatever this child psychologist did, it must have worked because, you know, I came out of there and I was okay and I sort of learned to... You know, stick with your friends, enjoy your friends, enjoy the people who love you, and tune out the people who don't because there's nothing you can do about them. You can, you can, all you can keep doing is being the best person you can be, and if people are going to play tricks on you, people are going to make fun of you. They only do it if it works. They only do it if it gets to you. And once you get to the point where you decide that it's not going to get to you, it generally it doesn't it doesn't completely stop because nothing ever completely stops but yeah it goes down a whole lot and it's a lot easier to uh, to deal with and and i've seen this in my adult years that i can be around 2 year olds 3 year olds 4 year olds they play with me they have fun with me they you know you get them 5 6 7 years old why don't you open your eyes what's wrong with your eyes why can't you see you know, there's a clear line of demarcation that happens at, at that point, and I've seen it when I was a child, and I've seen it when I was an adult. When did it start to abate? When did you, when do you think uh, uh, that you started being more? Ex- I'm sure at the time this was all going on, there was some guy who who was your bud, who was sure. your friend. You know, there oh, was yeah. there were some kids that were your friends, and and uh, you know, <laughs> go find the biggest guy and make friends with him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I definitely had my friends. I mean, e- even at the worst time, I still had my friends that I played with, and they didn't care. Yeah. You know, I yeah, I had a group of maybe, you know, three, four, five, you know, real good buddies or whatever. So, no, I was never completely alone and, you know, quote-unquote friendless or whatever. That That was never the problem. I would say that it started to calm down maybe when... I don't know, maybe ten, eleven years old. You yeah. know, when 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 kids are starting to grow up a little bit, and 
and and lose at least a little bit of that sense because you know when you're like five, six, seven years old, you'll still say and do absolutely anything because you don't know, yeah, right? Yeah. So you've been taught to hate, and you have no sense of not doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get a little older, you still have that sense of. You know, he's different, but you also have a little bit more of a sense of, you know, tempering what you're going to say or what you're going to do. So I, yes, I, I would say that maybe fifth grade, you know, 10, 10 11 years old or whatever, it started to calm down. Um, I was never one that had, you know, a whole ton of friends because I think I think if you were somebody in school who's that overly popular, I think you have to try to please everybody to be able to get that. that that's usually phony. Anyway, yeah. I've, I've got a, we've got a niece that's in, in high school, bless her heart, and she's having some problems because maybe her parents have a dollar or two more than somebody else's parents. So yep. she's having an awful hard time, and I keep telling her, baby girl, if you just give it a couple of years, you'll be out of high school. You can tell them all to go to hell. That's you right. Know, you won't need this anymore. But you can't, you can't do that. Well, she can't see it, and and I don't, I, I don't fault her for that. Exactly. So you 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 in high you went grade school, middle yeah. school, and then you went to uh, you went to high school, and high school is. High school is. What did you do in high school? You play in the band? Did you? What were your extracurricular things that you did? Yeah, I um, I was in the marching band, the concert band, and the stage band. Man, in high school. So you learned you learned the music early. You began music early. Uh, at the age of five, I started studying drums. Yeah, let's go back to that. You, they, how did you? How did you decide? Who decided that you you would be a drummer? I mean, what, me, you, me, yes, sir. Oh. I mean, from the time I was a real teeny tiny little guy, I loved to make noise. Uh huh. And I would get spoons, forks, knives. I'd bang on pots, pans, anything I could get my hands on. You could. You could get me toys to play with, and I'd go for the pots and pans. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so my parents decided that they'd try to channel that, and they got me a, um, a a cousin of mine. We got a snare drum from from one of my cousins when I was three, and I banged on that all the time. And then when I was five, my father bought a used a used uh phil can you do me a favor somebody w- refuses to stop beeping me here is there any way you can pause that thing boy they do they is that is i wondered what that was yeah we're at about a break place anyway why don't we just take a little okay. short break and we'll be back to uh to your drum lessons and all that in just a minute with more of the blind handyman <laughs> Information you'll probably never need. Titillating tidbits to make you think on the blind side. Here's Don Patterson. Although the Guide Dogs for the Blind Association was founded in 1934, the modern guide dog story started in Germany in 1916 when the dogs were trained to lead soldiers blinded in the First World War. In 1927, Miss Dorothy Eustace, an American training police and army dogs in Switzerland, wrote an article about these German dog training schools. Her article appeared in the Saturday Evening Post. 
The future for all blind men can be the same however blinded, no longer dependent on a member of the family, a friend, or a paid attendant, the blind can once more take up their normal lives as nearly as possible where they left them off, and each can begin to go back to a wage-earning occupation, secure in the knowledge that he can get to and from his work safely and without cost that crowds and traffic have no longer any terrors for him, and that his evenings can be spent among friends without responsibility or burden to them. And last, but far from least, that long, healthful walks are now possible to exercise off the unhealthy fat of inactivity and so keep the body strong and fit. Gentlemen, Again, without reservation, I give you the shepherd dog. No one could have predicted the response the article generated. Thousands of inquiries poured into the offices of the Saturday Evening Post. Likewise, no one could have predicted that Miss Dorothy Eustace would train dogs to be used as guides for blind people. However, Miss Eustace found herself in an awkward position. Her article, on the one hand, was an offering of hope for Americans blind. But on the other, the hopes were dashed because at that time there were no dogs or training facilities available for blind Americans. One letter would change all of this. It was a very appealing letter from a young man named Morris Frank who had lost his eyesight recently at the age of 16. A year later, Ms. Eustace arranged for a dog to be trained for Morris, and she was also instrumental in starting the Seeing Eye organization in Switzerland and in the United States. On the Blind Side, I'm Don Patterson. On the Blind Side, answering questions nobody asks. San Diego. I keep wanting to say Sacramento I, I, because we're going to be in Sacramento uh, in the fall. My wife has a seminar to do out there. Oh, okay. But uh, you're from San Diego, and yep. this is California. Uh, and now you started you started taking drum lessons at, from an actual drum teacher at age five. Is That's that right? correct. Uh, yeah, so a, a private uh, drum instructor that we actually got in contact, believe it or not, through my dentist. Mm-hmm. And uh, started taking drum lessons at the age of five, and um, just played and played and played. In fact, when I was seven years old, uh, there were some local high school kids who uh, played guitar, uh-huh. who actually used to come over and and play with me. Yeah, you know, they'd bring their guitars and their amplifiers over. I was seven years old. You were their little seven-year-old drummer. Yeah. Of course, and that helped in the popularity contest. That that oh, helped yeah. make friends. And uh, you know, if you if you do something, uh, if you do something like play drums or guitar, or sing or something, that uh, that doesn't hurt a thing in high school. I wouldn't. No, think. definitely not, and, and even more so in college. So you were you were obviously in in high school. Y'all, you folks had a little rock and roll uh, band. Yeah. 
That's what I would figure. I, I wouldn't figure you were doing Buck Owens tunes. No, no, I was I, I was a rock and roll kind of a guy. Yeah. And um, but I was also I also played in the you know in in the bands in high school. You know, like I said, like the marching band and the mm-hmm. concert band, the stage band, and everything. Now uh, this uh, so this was mid '80s. Well, I guess when you were growing, you were born about 1970, 69 or 69. 69. So this was this was early to mid '80s. So, so what? What's name some tune, some people you liked, some tunes you played? Uh, oh, back then it was a lot of the classic rock. You know, a lot of like Led Zeppelin and. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know, like the Stones and, you know, typical stuff. Yeah, you didn't any didn't, didn't Beatles tunes? Yeah. Oh, of course, you uh, know. Yeah. David Bowie, uh, everything, The Who, you know, a lot, lot of... Mm-hmm. Most of what I did was the, was the classic the classic rock stuff. In high school, we used to play parties uh, to make a little, you know, I, I, I was making a little bit of, making a little money doing that, so that yeah. was kind of nice. And then in the later 80s, when I was in college... Um, I actually played in a couple of heavy metal bands. Really? Yeah. So you you uh, made uh, partially made your living at one time uh, doing this. Um, in fact, at one time I made a full living doing that once wow. I got out of college. Yeah, but uh, back in so high school and college, you played. In a, uh, let's let's go back to the marching band in high school. Okay. How how did you? Because we've had a little. We've had a, we had a kid in in uh, in band here that wanted to be in the band. The band director just said, "There's just there's no way." Yeah, I, that figures. There's just no way, and That's and it. I didn't have any any comeback because I didn't I didn't know any you know at that time we didn't have all these things going we got now, so you know we just said, "Oh well, okay, if there's no way, there's no way." But but you did it. Yeah, well, it, well, it was it was a little. I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit about how it happened. Okay. Um, when I got into marching band, when I was a freshman in high school, we had just an absolutely huge band, because at that point you had to be in marching band and concert band to get the high school credits. No, you couldn't be in one or the other. You had to be in both if you wanted to get credit for it. Okay. So, like I said, our band was absolutely huge, and we had a huge percussion section. So my freshman year, I actually played timpani. You know, like the big kettle drums? Yeah. And you don't have to march for that. You know, so, okay. you know, All you, right. you, you you go out on the field during the cadence, and you just go to the timpanis, and you're ready to roll. You don't have, I, I didn't have to march. I just had to learn all the musical parts, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't have to march. And then my sophomore year was another interesting story, because they took away high school credit from marching band and made it volunteer. And what ended up happening was is that the band got considerably smaller. But all the other drummers, no offense to anyone who may be listening to this, were pretty terrible. <laughs> so what they actually did with the rest of the drummers, Phil, was they gave them horns and made them decoy horn players. They didn't even actually play the horns. They just marched in the band and carried the horns along with the horn players. And I, and I went out there with my drum set. And played all of the parts—the snare drums, the ba- you know the bass drums, the cymbals, everything—on a drum set. So I didn't have to march then either. Okay. Now my junior year, I did march, and the way that we did it was, I played snare drum. You know, you have the harness on. And so this was hanging around your neck. Yeah. Okay. It, it hangs on your shoulders. Okay. You know, it hangs down right in front of you. Uh huh. And I would stick my elbows out. And the drummers to the right and left of me would stick their elbows out. 
mm-hmm. and we'd go elbow to elbow. And march down the field. You got that right. <laughs> In fact, let me, let me tell you a funny story. Uh, you got time for a funny story? We, we got all the time you want. Go ahead. All right. This was my freshman year in high school, and we were doing a uh, we had gone to Florida to uh, to to march in some parades down there. Mm-hmm. We we marched in a parade at Disney World, and then another parade that we marched in was at a place called Circus World, which isn't around anymore. And I was playing snare drum, and I had two people on either side of me. We did the elbow to elbow thing, and we're marching and playing and um. I bumped into the elbow of the guy on my right, so I figured I was getting too far to the right. Uh-huh. So I started moving to the left. I bumped into him again. I keep moving to the left, so I figure out he's pushing me to the left, like pretty far. And But we keep playing, and we keep marching, and then all of a sudden the guy on the left bumps into me, and he starts pushing me back to the right. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on, but I'm still marching and playing, and then I noticed that behind me, the horn players aren't marching anymore. They're scraping their feet on the ground. So I'm going, what in the world just happened? And I only found out afterwards that what happened was there was a big pile of horse manure right in the parade route. And the drum section was small enough that we were able to march around it. But the horn players were too big. You know, the, the, the horn section was too big, and they had to march right through this big pile of horse manure and then they were dragging their feet That's on the ground funny. to try to get it off after, after they marched through it. And you had no idea of, of any of this? No, sure. Had no, didn't know until afterwards. But oh. the kids on each side guided you around the pile of horse manure? Yes. That's a fantastic little story. While still playing music, while still marching and still playing. Wow, bum bum bum, still still moving. Yeah, yeah. that's that's funny. Yep, that's that's a good story. See, I want, also I want to do another. I want to do a program on stories like that, th- things that happen to people because they're blind. And this was your this was your junior year. No, that was my freshman year. Oh, this was your freshman year. Yeah. Okay. You know, you, I played timpanis my freshman year, but yeah. you don't have timpanis in a parade. Okay. You know, so I played snare drum in the parade. Well, I knew there'd be a way for this boy to march, but I didn't have it, and and I wasn't directly involved. And so they just told him, "No, you can't do this." I, I and I think he was a drummer also. I think he and and he wanted to wanted to march in the band. The old band director just said, uh, "You know, there's some things blind people can't do." And I said, "Well, maybe there are." Uh, yeah, that's know. well. You know what? There are a few things that blind people can't do. For example, be like a cab driver. Yeah. You know. But uh, beyond that, that's it's 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 our job. I really think it is our job to convince people that these things can be done. Yes, it is. You know, and this is a lot of what I went through being in schools where they'd never had a blind person before, mm-hmm. because there were a lot of obstacles put in our way. And there always are, and I mean that's uh, that. One of the reasons we're going to, we're doing this this little blind like me show is we're going to offer it as an educational tool for sure. for young kids, so they'll realize that hey, you, this can be dealt with. Like we say, it's it's an inconvenience. It's not a handicap. It's just an inconvenience. Well, let me let, let me say a couple things. Okay, if I may. That, you may. That that um, I think are important. If this is ever going to be used in an educational setting, um, advice. To, because these are things, Phil, that I went through. Um, advice to teachers, um, if you have a blind student in your class, 
when people are raising their hands to answer questions, you can't just point at the person. Um, you have to call, <laughs> call out the person's name. Yeah. Because what happened to me, Phil, was I was in second grade, and you know that's about when they start asking questions, and you answer them. You know, you raise your hand and you answer them. So the teacher would ask a question, point to the person who she wanted to answer after they raised their hand, and they would answer. So to a blind person, all they hear is the teacher asking a question and someone answering. They don't even realize that a hand has been raised. So I, I, I see it coming up Timberland Drive. You just started answering questions, right? Exactly. Yeah, because you didn't know. Exactly. So then they go to my parents saying that I'm being disruptive in class. Because you were just, if you knew the answer to the question, you just answered it. Right. You know, so th so this is exactly it. You know, they went to my parents saying that I was being all disruptive in class. And thank God for my mom, because my mom was the one who was always in it. You know, my my dad worked 16 hours a day. He didn't have time to be around for all that. Uh -huh. You know, he not that he didn't want to. They're just... If you're working 16 hours a day, you're sleeping the other eight. And you so, you, I mean, your mother finally came to class and figured out the problem. Yeah. Well, she didn't actually. She didn't even actually have to come to class. She uh, just asked the teacher a couple questions and found out that she was pointing. And you're like, well, what do you expect? He doesn't know that you're pointing. He doesn't even know that people are. Did you ever tell him to raise his hand? Did you ever tell him to wait to be called on? She's like, no. <laughs> And this was in second grade. About second grade, yeah. Well, you know, the teacher felt like I mean, she she or he would they would have she would have no way of knowing. Sure. Th this is not this is a mistake. I mean, it's not it was well, that's that's. Oh, no, uh, I know that. I mean, I'm not blaming you know, the guy. But that's an interesting point and a and a and a neat little story. I'm so glad you remembered all this stuff. Yeah, from, absolutely. Uh, and, and I'll tell you something else that I that I all that I also think is important. If you're, I mean, by the time parents get to this point or whatever you know I, I know that what you're doing here is aimed a little bit more at, at older children but mm -hmm. but another thing that i think is really important if you have a blind baby and this is something that that my parents did with me they had a lot of help from the fortunately our state agency for the blind in new jersey was very good back then Boy, that's the first person I've ever heard say their state agency was good our state <laughs> agency in new jersey was actually very good Hello. Hello. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's like now because I don't yeah. live there anymore. But it was actually very good back then. And my parents were given advice very early on when I was a baby that if I started to rock, to give me something to play with, put something in my hands, because they had. And I don't know if this theory holds true or not, but it definitely worked in my case that. They said that if a child, if a baby is rocking, it's because he's bored. You know, when, when, when you can't see, your whole world stops at the end of your fingertips. Or at the range that your ears hear. Yeah, exactly. But, like, if there's no noise, you know, if the TV's not on or people aren't talking or whatever, your world ends. That's true. At, at, at your fingertips. So... A child would get bored, you know. If so, they said, you know, if I ever started to rock, you know, put it, you know, put a toy in my hand. You know? And you did start to rock. Right. So I would rock. They'd put a toy in my hand. 
this only happened if you, you know, they, they, they would do this, and, and as a result, I don't rock. I know a lot of blind people that are adults that still rock, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and I don't rock. I, uh, I rock, but I do it in chairs. Well, of course. And I have, well, let's see, probably eight to ten rocking chairs at my place, and I have several different locations where they are. Right. And when I really want to think... When it's time for me to think about the next million I'm going to make, <laughs> I go get in a rocking chair. Right. And I and I I one of the things I miss most on vacations, we go to we go to different vacations, cruises, and we go to Padre Island, which is an island in South Texas, a, a beach down there. And the thing I miss most at Padre Island is my swing. Oh, is that right? And I I don't know why that I, I don't know why. I'm like that. I don't rock in public, and I don't flip sure. my hands. I don't put my hands in my eyes. I'm actually uh, pretty socially acceptable right. uh, person if I clean up a little bit. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't rock in public, but I love to rock in a chair right. better than I just. I just love it. It's there's something about it that wow. just. And, and I don't know. You know. So they they so they stopped you uh, from rocking by putting a toy in your hand. Yeah. That's a that's a good thought. I'm 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 sure that uh, and and this of course by the time you were born, there was a lot more information about blind children than there was back say when I was born in 1940. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the people were a lot better educated and and um, and like you said they were mainstreaming uh, blind children. Did you did you put your hands in your eyes? Did you ever do that? I used to do that, but they stopped that also. They stopped that. Well, they, I did too. They had a hard time stopping me. Uh, and I, I didn't. I think my poor mother, my mother invented uh, what she would do. My mother was a talker. I uh, mm-hmm. wonder where I got this gift of gab. I, <laughs> my mother was a talker, and she and the neighbors would be sitting drinking coffee, talking. And rather than stopping her conversation and saying, "George Philip, take your hands out of your eyes," she just snapped her fingers, and I knew. Yep. That was that was my cue to take my hands out of my eyes, and she didn't want to quit talking. Sure. I didn't think they were ever going to break me of that. I was a I was an eye puncher. Sure. And and actually, it sounds like you had a, a pretty good childhood. I really did. I, 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 a lot of it, as I said, I, I, I will give every bit of credit to my parents mm-hmm. because they really had to be in there all the time, Phil. Yeah. Um, no watching, question about it. You know, making sure that things were being done. I mean, my my mom used to take me everywhere with her when I was real little. She used to take me shop, meet her to the grocery store. Everywhere she went, I went with her. And she wanted to do that so that I experienced everything. You know, rather than keep me in the house or keep me sheltered or whatever, she would take me with her everywhere. And then when I got into school, there were all kinds of times where the teachers would try to um, not have me be involved in To, to not include you. Right. Because you were blind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my mom had to constantly be in there and uh, and taking care of that, going, no, you know, he, he should be doing this. This is why this is why he's going to school. You know, but but I don't know if that's... I don't know what it's like now, but it was definitely like that then, 30 years ago. I'm sure it's even more like that now uh, uh, in terms of parents making kids be, in, in, be included. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I would say um, 
uh, well, of course, in, back in, you know, when we went to school, they just, it was a, it was an institution. I mean, they sent us away to this blind school, and on weekends we had nothing to do, and mm-hmm. and it, it was a terrible experience. It haunted me for years. Mm-hmm. I, so, so you were you were a lucky young man. You were you came along at a good time, and sound like you had a, a really neat set of parents. Oh yeah, my my parents uh, were and still are um, just incredible people. They really, really are, and 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 I give them full credit for for how I turned out because when I was too young to watch out for myself, they watched out for me and taught me how to watch out for myself when I got older. And so uh, uh, at at what, uh, I guess at a, at a young age, you learned to feed yourself when you were, when you, were you know, three or four years old, just like other kids do. And I guess. I just don't even remember you know, learning it. Mm. You know what I mean? So it yeah. must have been. Yeah. I, like I don't remember a specific time where I learned how to feed myself i just did it you know what i mean i'm i'm sure i learned but i must have learned so young that i don't remember you know we've done 30 minutes and we don't even have you out of high school okay that's amazing isn't it yeah. why don't we do this let's, let's uh just take a short break and okay. come back and and uh by then you'll magically be in college i'm out there amazing that would absolutely amazing how do they do it i don't know visiting with bob cash be back in just a minute more blind like me a website our crack research team certifies screen reader friendly. Now with this week's blind sight, here's Don Shaw. You know, if you're an old scanner listener, uh, and I'm talking audio scanner now, uh, like myself, you know you used to be limited on your scanner listening uh, to the city basically that you were in, whether you listened to uh, uh, police, fire, emergency medical, amateur radio, whatever you were kind of into listening on your scanner. You know, before the Internet days, you uh, you were, again, very limited on what you could listen to. Not anymore. Not with the day of the Internet. I found a site. It's called policescanner.com, and it has a lot of different cities around the United States listed that they have that you can click on and go to that city and listen to some police scanner channels from there. There's some aircraft-type uh, uh, monitoring from some different uh, airports around the United States. Man, for a scanner listener that kind of wants to add to their scanner listening experience, this may be the, a place you would want to check out. We have come ways from listening to things in our own city. I would give this site a screen reader friendliness rating of a six or so. Not not the easiest site to navigate around on, but it's a worthwhile site if you're a scanner listener. If you want to check it out, go to www.police-scanner.info slash livescan.htm. Until next time, I'm Don Shaw. Keep on web sighting. If you found a screen reader friendly website you'd like us to mention, send your email to blindlikeme, all one word, at txucom.net. And join us again next time for Blind Sites.
segment of our little show we call Blind Like Me, and this fellow is, his name is Bob Cannish, he's totally blind and has been for 34 years of his 34-year life. Exactly. <laughs> and so, college time, time to go to college. What did okay. you study? Where did you go? Tell us about college. All right. All right. I went to Marist College. That was, I actually ended up going to three colleges. Uh, I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's where I started about maybe two and a half, three hours away from home. Because at this time, your, your parents were living in New Jersey. Yeah, we're still back in New Jersey. Uh-huh. Still in New Jersey. I, I grew up my whole life in New Jersey until I moved to California. Uh, so I was in New Jersey. I, I was in New Jersey, went to college in, up in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I was not ready for college. I just was not. I, I was one of those people who got very good grades in high school without having to do a whole lot of work. And I thought that I could apply that same principle when I got to college. So I did not study hard. Uh-huh. I spent all my time socializing. I drank way, way, way too much. And I was... You, you can't mean it. Oh, I can mean it. <laughs> uh, and I was thrown out after a year. Oh, yeah, I was I was thrown out of that college after a year. Actually, told not to not to return. Sent a letter that I was no longer welcomed on the premises. Whoa, that must have been quite an awakening for uh, for you. It it really was. Uh, it really was. In fact, I credit that as the single most important thing that ever happened to me in my life. And at the time, you thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to you. Uh, at the time, I did, but you know, one of the things about mistakes is how you handle them. Well, that's the that's the point of that's the point of mistakes is what yeah. you know what you what you are able to learn from those mistakes. Yeah, you know, I made a colossal mistake, and again, there were my parents right there. They they saw in me that I'd figured out what I'd done, mm-hmm. and they never yelled at me. Um, my father, I think, said about seven or eight words on the subject. And since this is going to be a family program, I won't say what those words were. Uh-huh. But uh, basically what he said was, you effed up. You uh-huh. know you effed up. Don't eff up again. Um, because if you do, I may have to kill you. Well, he didn't even go that far. He didn't go that far. He just left it just at Don't do it again. Right. And uh, and then I so I went to Raritan Valley Community College after that because no four year school would take me. This was a four year. The first, you started out at a four year school. Started at a four year school. Yeah. In retrospect, they should have probably put you in a community college to begin with. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But you yeah. know, I, I had done so well in high school. In high school, you know, on the honor roll all the time. It, it looked like I was ready to go, and 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 had I just acted like a human being and applied myself, I probably would have been fine. But I went off, I went hog wild like a lot of other people did, and I got thrown out. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I, so then I went to a community college uh, for two years. Um, I I went in a transfer program because I wanted to get back to a four year school. Um, so I went there, made sure that I only took courses that would transfer. And I got out of there. I got an A in every class I had there. Really? An A in every class? Every single class I got an A. Now, were you living at home at this time? Living at home, yes. Living back with my parents. Well, it's it's a little hard to drink when you're doing that. Oh, I, oh, I didn't say I didn't drink. 
Which I think, I, if I remember, that may be why I moved the first. You know, <laughs> so that because they, they didn't, they were anyway. That's another story. Okay. But so you, you made A's and everything. And this was first year of college that you that you did good, and so you did two years at this community college. Two years. And studying what? Uh, communications. I wanted to originally. I wanted to be in radio. Um, that's originally what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in radio ever since I was a little kid. Well, it's a good it, thing you didn't tell me that because that's all we would have talked about. Oh, okay. Well, we can talk about that some other time. Well, we may have to do another show with you because I did too. That was my. I talked to a guy the other day and he put it. He put it nicely. He said I wanted to work at K Triple L in Lubbock, and if somebody had asked me if I wanted to be president of the United States or do mornings at K Triple L, I would have stayed at K Triple L. Yep. And I would have too. Yeah, I I loved it. In fact, I I uh, well, I mean, we're getting completely off track. No, I, we're 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 still on track. We're fine. Go ahead. Okay, because when I well, I'm going to take you back real quick to when I was eight years old. That'll be fine. We actually had a radio station at a local high school that was maybe only about ten miles down the road. Uh-huh. And an FM station that actually even for a high school station had about a thirty mile range. With no license, or they have a license? Oh, they were licensed completely. I'll be darned. Yeah, and um, and every Thursday we would get out of school at one thirty in the afternoon for teachers' meetings. So we we get out early every Thursday. So my my mom contacted that station at the high school, and actually arranged for me to go down there every Thursday from two to four. <laughs> and I was eight years old. And uh, now tell us, they, they they this was you were eight, so this was seventy seven. Seventy seven. Now they have a three stack cart machine. Yeah, they and had they, a, you know, and and now at that time of the day they played classical music, so there wasn't a whole lot of talking. Uh-huh. But I learned how to work the turntable. You learned how to cue records. Learned how to cue up the records. Learned how to work the cart machines. Learned how the pots on the console worked. You know, when I you, learned, and oh god, I loved it. And you were you were how old? Eight. Oh, you were you did lead a charmed life. I did. I'm you did. You. You, you, that's that was wonderful for an eight-year-old kid because you, how you were already in love with radio. Already you loved were, it. You were already going KBRC TV Channel Two Houston. You were already exactly. doing that, right? Exactly. Already sitting around imitating the announcers and. For me, it was WABC <laughs> New York. WABC New York. That was my that was my station back then. Dan Boy. Ingram, Ron Lundy, Harry Harrison, all those guys. And they were big rock and roll radio station. Yes, sir. Seven seventy. The country. Seven seventy. 770 WABC. That's amazing. That's all we would have talked about. It's a good thing you didn't tell me that. Yeah. Because that's that's uh, that's radio was my, I lived it, ate it. So the first thing I did in the morning was get up and tune across the dial, see who was on, who wasn't. Yep. You know, that's the first thing I did every morning for 40 years. Oh, yeah. I've gotten past it because it's been mean to me. But anyway, yeah. let's talk about your life. So you were in college. You were studying communications, radio, television, basically. Right, but at that point I was I, I didn't want to do the broadcasting thing anymore because at that point I had learned that to ever make any money in broadcasting you have to keep moving around the country. And, True. Uh, especially where I lived, you know, there wasn't you know you, you don't end up in New York City when you start out. You know, you end up in you know some tiny little you know you know corn popper in the middle of New Jersey somewhere. You end up on a little thousand watt daytimer. Exactly. Somewhere in Hornell, New York. Right. How do you, you like that? You don't make any money doing that. So by no. I, I didn't want to be... And you knew this in college? Yeah. 
Gee, I learned it at about 50. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so, I, so that, that's what happened with me. So I got – I didn't concentrate in broadcasting. I concentrated more like on the advertising, the the kind of PR side of all of it mm-hmm. at that point. So that's what I was studying in college. Uh, so I did two years at the community college, got all A's and everything, then got myself back to a four-year school and went to Ramapo College in uh, in New Jersey, up in Mawa, New Jersey. Actually a very well-respected school, uh, great uh, business program, great communications program, um, very good school. And I graduated from there with my bachelor's in communications. When I got out, my grade point average was just under four. It was a 3.9. My, that's good. Yeah, so I turned my. That's what I'm talking about. I'm mis- making a mistake and learning from it. I, I completely turned myself around. Well, obviously, uh, you took it seriously. Yeah, I studied uh, hard. Yeah. I still had fun. Oh, believe me, I still had now, fun. Now, did the did the college have a, a radio station or not? They did, but I didn't get involved in their radio. Um, and I, you know, and I don't even know why. I honestly don't know. I just, I never, I didn't get involved in their radio station. So you were over wanting to be a disc jockey at that time. Still loved radio, but I guess didn't have the drive to be a DJ anymore. Hmm. But, but, uh, but college was, college was an interesting thing. And, and I think it needs to be talked about being a blind person being in college. Because at that point, I'd had so much experience you know, getting past all the hurdles of regular school Mm -hmm. that I pretty much did everything for myself when I got to college. You know, I I went to the professors and found out what books they were going to be using by the time I had to be in there. Mm -hmm. You know, because you had to get two copies of them to have them recorded by Recordings for the Blind. Um you know, so I, you know, so I, I did all that. I contacted the professors, and, and you run into problems with that. Sometimes they'll change the edition on you, and and now you've got now you've got the wrong edition of the book. So you've got two books you can't use. Exactly. Now, did you live in dorm or did you live on campus or where, where did you? Uh, at Marist, I lived uh, in the dorm. Uh, in community college, I lived at home, yeah. and then at Ramapo, I lived on campus, but I lived in an apartment. Okay. Because by then I was old enough. I, I I was 21 when I transferred into Ramapo. Yeah. And by then you could live in the apartments. So I lived in a nice apartment with three other people. And uh, so I was still on campus, but I was living in an apartment. Now these were these three guys you knew previously, or no, did, sir. Did you just this was a so this was a total. I mean, you met them the first day. Yeah. Um, you all uh, got this apartment, and and um, that's the first time you met them. That's right. Oh, that would be a kind of a scary step for. I guess you were twenty-one, so you were had a little seasoning. Yeah, you still you still get burned. My my first year, I made the mistake of getting a phone in my name, and <laughs> and after a while, these yeah. guys uh, refused to pay me for their long distance calls, so I put a long distance block on the phone. You know that type of thing. And then they didn't like you anymore. Yeah, they didn't. I what did I care? Ah, well, of course. If they, if they were if they weren't willing to pay me, I don't think I I don't think I'd want to be their friends anyway. Of course, you'd had some some psychological training at a young age. Yeah. And so you were you had a little kind of a leg up. Okay, so you got a degree in communications, and right. you, and you did it mostly on your own. Did yeah. you? And you, do you are you a braille reader? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. You love that braille. I really do. It's kind of being literate. 
<laughs> Do what now? I said, uh, yeah, literacy is a good thing. Well, literacy is a good thing. Um, I, I, you've read lots of books in Braille, library books. I mean, it would, oh, that would be oh, nothing, yeah. nothing for you to sit down and read a library book in Braille. That's right. Well, you've done something I've never done. Yeah. And, I, and, and uh, in fact, in college, some of my books were in Braille. Um, my statistics course, my, my statistics book, I got that done in Braille. And my Spanish books, I had them done in Braille. You had someone try, Braille transcribe them? Yeah, actually, what, there was a company called, I think it was called National, I'll never remember, this was like National Braille Translation or something, and they were up in Rochester, New York. And they would do this for, for, for blind children? For quite a bit of money, yes. Quite a bit of money? <laughs> not, not, not for children. See, when you're in, when you're in regular school, like yeah. grammar school, in high school, your books have to be provided for you. You know, because your your it's it is your education is pretty much the government's responsibility. Well, now they do. But but you know when I once I got out of school in college they didn't have to be. That's correct. So my statistics book in Braille cost uh, over seven hundred dollars to be brailled. Good heavens! Now the Commission for the Blind of New Jersey reimbursed us for that. Yeah, but we had to pay $700 to have that book brailled, and then they paid us the money back. And what are the chances that anybody else was ever going to be able to use it? Uh, not, not not very good, huh? Yeah, hardly any at all. And, in fact, I ended up having to take an incomplete in that course and finish it later because they weren't producing the volumes fast enough. Okay, but you made it through college and walked across the stage. Did you yeah. walk across the stage yourself? Yeah, uh, I, I had my parents walk down with me. Not because I needed the guidance, but, I mean, they had just done so much for me that I actually talked to the yeah. school, and they were cool with having my parents walk along with me. Well, of course, by the time this plays, we will have already heard Bob Peters, who is dean of the college, and Tyler talk about falling off the stage during his his graduation Oh, ceremony. now, I almost did that when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. I, I came so close to walking off the stage and caught myself at, like, the last minute. Well, by the time this airs, you will have already heard Bob's story about, right. about walking off the stage. Okay, so you, you're through college. Yeah. What did you do? What did you, where did you go work? Well, I, I went back to live at home after I got out of college. Yeah. And I had a horrible time trying to find a job. I, I lived in a very rural part of the state where there's, like, no jobs anyway. Yeah. You know, and then you throw on top of it that I'm fresh out of college with no experience. Then you throw on top of that that I'm blind, which puts an obstacle in your way anyway, trying to find a job. So you spent a lot of time at home without a job. Uh, yes, but fortunately I was playing in about four or five bands at the time. So I had very steady work as a musician mm -hmm. and was making money hand over fist under the table. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, so I had plenty of money. Money was not a job. I didn't have money. You just the degree was it was at that point in time you weren't able to do anything with it. Right, right. So I, I you know, it was terrible, and and it took me. I graduated in May of '93. Uh -huh. I did, I was not hired for my for my first job after college. I specify that because I had jobs while I was in high school. Yeah, but, but my first job. After college, I did not get until '95. Really? Um, I was at a. I, I, I there was two years, and about three months, from the time I graduated college to the time I got hired, 
And uh, what was that first job? First job was at this teeny tiny little startup company that only had like th- three people. Well, the whole company was three people, mm-hmm. and they worked out of a barn. And they had a CD-ROM that they sold that helped um, people who sold electronic components like capacitors and resistors and mm-hmm. oscillators and things like that find each other to be able to buy these parts that they needed. Okay. So I was hired on as a salesman because all they needed was sales at that point. And you did this on the telephone? Uh, yeah, on the phone. Um they, I was given paper leads that I would then take home, and my friends would read to me, and I would write out for my, you know, for me, you know, for my, for me to use. Yeah. And I was horrible at it because I hate I, I I'm not a salesman. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like to make. I I know how much I hate to be cold called. Yeah. And that would always translate into every call. I don't like being cold called. Therefore, I was no good at cold calling. Yeah. But fortunately, by the time. I came to the realization that I didn't like cold calling, and they came to the realization that I didn't like cold calling. We had some customers who actually needed technical assistance with the product. So rather than firing me, they moved me over into being their first support person. Okay. And I was very good at that. And I actually, that is the job that moved me to California. And... um because the company that I worked for was acquired by another company whose headquarters were in San Diego. And they wanted you to move? Yes. Do you still work for that company? No, sir, I do not. I was laid off last year. I worked there for seven years. Uh-huh. I was laid off last year when a lot of the dot-coms were going, you know, having layoffs because of the economy. So I was laid off last year. I was out of work for five months. And uh, now I'm working at KPBS uh, TV and radio here in San Diego. Doing what? I'm in the um, I'm in the audience services department, which is kind of like it's kind of like a support department for the members, for the viewers. Um, it's it's a great job. It's a great place to work. It is a real foot in the door type of a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> it's a good job. The pay the pay is is not bad. The people are very nice, and now that I'm in there, I can. My hope is to start working for the radio station. And doing what? Um, I think I want to do audio production because I've done a lot of that for ACBRI. You know, I produce all my own promos and features and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and, what do you do that with? Uh, Soundforge? Yeah, I'm a Soundforge guy. You're a Soundforge guy. Yeah. And you know it quite well. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, see, that's another thing you didn't tell me, and we'd have talked a lot about that. <laughs> uh, I don't use SoundForge because I have uh, the equipment. I don't have to. I don't. I don't need it. I've got a right. twenty. I've got a twenty-four track digital machine, and I don't. I don't use SoundForge, but I want to. Right. Uh, and I. I want to buy it, and I want to. You know. So uh, maybe we'll just spend all day some Sunday on the phone, and you can right. teach me how to do SoundForge. Uh, uh, listen, I hate to do this, but we're out of time. Uh huh. And I need to go, and I wanted to, you said you were married to a wonderful woman, and I wanted to talk about that. How long have you been married? Married this, in September, it'll be six years. Six years. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, tell her hi. I sure will. And uh, any children? No, sir. We we are not going to have children. You're just not going to have children. That is correct. It's something that we talked about and prayed about and decided that we wanted to remain childless. 
Well, okay, and I, yeah, I think that's good. If that's mm-hmm. uh, you know that's a, that's a decision that a lot of people make these days. Mm-hmm. Bob, you have been uh, most interesting, uh, and I'm sure glad you didn't tell me about your interest in radio because we'd have, we would have spent a lot of time talking about radio, and I want to get. There are so many blind people interested in radio. I, I want to get a, uh, a, a something going, uh, a show sometime mm-hmm. uh, with with people who are radio nuts like I am. Oh, I'm, oh, I love it. I, I want to do a big conference, um, big conference uh, 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 show someday, and and I'll certainly put you at the top of the list, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, if you ever want to do another show of like funny stories. Um, that come out of blindness. I've got I, I a have that, of them. I, I have that you. coming up. I'm going to set up an answering machine where you can call in and, and and tell it in your own words, but I don't have the money yet. Right. As soon as we get an underwriter in 501c3 status, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. i got to go. Thank like you go. much. You've been a delightful guest. I appreciate you. Go forth and tell them about being blind, okay? Okay, Phil. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We actually got through with one on time. Isn't that amazing? I want to remind you about our cruise we're attempting to get together. We'd like to have you on the cruise. If you haven't heard about it, it leaves New Orleans in February 29th, arrives back in New Orleans on March 7th. Uh, we have all the prices that include your transportation from the airport to the ship and back, all your meals, everything. Let me send you the information. My email address is philpar, P-H-I-L, P-A-R-R at T-X-U-Com dot net. Philpar at T-X-U-Com. There's no com between, there's nothing between the T-X-U and the com. Just philpar at T-X-U-Com dot net. Or my phone number 936-634-9500. That's 936-634-9500. Call me and talk to me about the cruise. I'll try to answer any questions you have. Let's go. The deadline is September 15th for the first payment. If you want to go, let us know. Thanks for listening to Blind Like Me, and we'll see you again next week. Phil Parr, bye-bye. (laughs) 